Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Recording Drums podcast with Blair Sinta. If you enjoy this podcast, please give it a rating on your favorite uh, podcast player, Apple, Spotify, whatever it might be. Uh, and if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe or share and or both. Today, my guest is Dylan Wissing. Dylan has recorded with Alicia Keys, John Legend, Eminem, Drake, you name it. Sounds like a good company of people, if you ask me. Um, he's also gone very deep in get into getting the sound for the Funky Drummer and has some incredible insights on that. So if you go to, go to Dylan's website, you can uh, dive deep on his series called Getting the Sound. Uh, Dylan and I have a certain kinship on getting drum sounds. And uh, we go a little deeper in this interview than I, I've gone with most people. Just, you know, his background... Um, his education, things like that. But we do get into the recording thing in there, and there's a lot of amazing insight uh, that he gives through his process. So without further ado, enjoy the interview with Dylan Wissing. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. I feel a kin... I'm recording already, so fuck it. We're yeah. Uh, I feel a kinship with you, man, because I feel like we... You know, we've dove... We've gone down some similar paths... I feel precisely the same. It's funny you you say that. Yeah, I, yeah, I I, uh, I went back and uh, I I'd heard you uh, your your talk on uh, my friend, our mutual friend Nick Ruffini's drum re drummer's resource, mm -hmm. and um, I went back and and saw your your latest one. And man, every single word of what you said, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, <laughs> like, yeah, trying to figure out, I, yeah, I I know. <laughs> I know your story as as mine, so yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, man. So, how long have you been in Nashville? Oh no, I'm in I'm in Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh shit. Well, I've barely ever been to Nashville in my life. Okay, well, there we go. Right on. Are you are you uh are you a born and bred New Jersey in? No, I'm from Indiana originally. Uh, I'm born and raised in Bloomington, Indiana, where Indiana University is. Oh wow, Funny. and you are. And you're like post Sean Pelton, Indiana too. Yeah. So uh, Sean was. Um, I started studying. Um, I started with Kenny Aronoff when I was. Uh, I had my first lesson with Kenny when I was when I was in eighth grade. My parents were and oh, Kenny wow. were friends. Oh wow. And, uh, so at, at, that was actually the first time I ever recorded. It was probably 1983, 1984. Kenny had a, a home studio in his basement and a little eight track tape tape machine. So he was working on something and I got to, he had a break drum and I was hitting the break drum. That was the first time I ever oh, actually wow. recorded myself. And it was really cool. So um, in high school, I started sh studying with Sean when he was, uh, he was a student at, at IU, jazz studies student. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he was a absolute badass back then. Yeah. So, and Sean at the time was studying with Kenny. So I was kind of getting Kenny's lessons secondhand filtered through Sean. Um, and when Sean left Bloomington to come to New York, I, I took over, you know, his teaching and some other wow. stuff. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, that, that question was totally unprompted with all that. So that's awesome to know. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, um, Bloomington was, it really, uh, is a, an amazing town. I mean, there's just, there's so many incredibly talented people that come there from all over the world. So yeah, you're really thankful to, to have grown up there. There's actually a professor there now as of the past couple of years, this guy, Joe Gramley, who's a okay. marimba guy and stuff. He was at university of Michigan. I have connections to the university of Michigan from growing up in Ann Arbor. Okay. I taught there. 
But right. Joe's there now, and he's I've known him since I was 12. Right. Um, we do very different things, but he's an incredible percussionist. Yeah. I, I believe it. I, yeah. you, you, you don't uh, – you can't be a slack and get yeah. on the faculty there. So Yeah. yeah very but. cool. All right, so I mean that usually leads me to my first question. Like, when did you when did you start recording? How'd you get into it? But like that's yeah, Kenny. Kenny wow, Kenny Aronoff's home studio basement. Amazing. And, uh, did he, cool. did he do things for Mellencamp out of there ever? Like like demo I, stuff? Do you know? Possibly. I I don't know. I I don't think he was in that that house terribly long. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I was just down there the one time right. for, for that for that session. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was eye-opening, and uh, you know it was cool to turn on TV and oh, there's Kenny on right. Saturday Night Live or whatever, right. and uh, it sort of the, one of the problems was that it made it so oh oh how hard can it be you know Kenny's doing it how are they doing it too <laughs> right. it's a direct path yeah 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 it's, it's so you just you know do the ABC and then there you are right right so what so was there were you having recording experience at IU? No, not at all. No, I, I, I was, uh, I, I started as a jazz studies major and, um, at the time the, the school was really classically oriented mm-hmm. and, um, which I was not at all. Okay. Um, and I was pretty hard headed and, and, you know, I, I didn't want to do things the right way. I wanted to do things my way and, uh, or, you know, or, or the smart way. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, yeah, it was, it was not a good fit. And, um, so I, um, probably the best thing that came out of my two years of, of as a jazz studies major is I, I played a lot of uh, salsa and um, okay. played congas in a salsa band for a couple of years with, with a, a family from Puerto Rico who are insanely talented. Wow. And, you know, the, the leader had won a, a Grammy for his, his salsa arranging, I believe. And okay. uh, so that was, that was really cool. Um, and played some jazz, but it, it was getting to the point where I, by two years into the school, I was starting to hate jazz and I knew that was not a, that was not how I wanted to feel about music that I really, really deeply loved. So I right. ended up as a French major and and actually played a lot more drums as a French major. Um, wow. Really Where did mediocre. that come from? Um, I had gone to um, my senior year of high school. I did the, um, you know, I'd taken high school French and um, I have some French background from going back to about 1704 in Vincennes, Indiana, when my ancestors arrived Amazing. to try for fur uh but uh senior year of high school i um i connected with i did the the foreign exchange program and connected with uh my buddy hervé who's in uh in lyon france and uh, hervé's family is from cameroon west africa so um i got you know i got really into hanging out with with hervé and speaking you know french uh west african pop when he and i went back and forth a lot i was actually supposed to go to, to cameroon with his family when I was in um, uh, in in college, I just started college, but and the trip ended up falling through, which I've always always been bummed about. But um, okay. okay, yeah. So basically, I just kind of learned it by hanging out with my my buddy and his family and friends in France. And kind of the day I the day I graduated, um, that was really the last time I'd used it, aside from touring France right. and you know being able to speak enough to right not get arrested or whatever. That's that's crazy. So a couple things. First of all, my kids speak French because they go to a oh. French immersion program just right. randomly, you know. So awesome. That's pretty cool. But um, so have you ever met Armand Subadleco or 
Andre Manga, bass players, no. Cam- Cameroon, no. Cats. Okay. No. Uh, Armand played like in the Brecker Brothers and. Okay. Uh, and the Paul Simon, the the. Yeah, oh yeah yeah yeah. Paul Paul Simon. The, the yeah. concert in the part. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Okay. And Armand, uh, Armand, uh, sorry, and Andre plays bass with Josh Groban, and I I toured with him a little bit. Okay. And um, it's it was interesting me touring with Andre. He turned me on to some of that some of that some of that i i i mean i i i'm a little ignorant of it about it but so you say west african for me it's it's makosa sukus um and then some of the some of the west indian stuff uh uh zyko and and uh um if you go on you know search up uh there's some great uh spotify playlists of just makosa or sukus okay uh, or you know zook um, from the West Indies, uh, you know, and everything's that. Okay. Uh, you know, kind of based on that feel with the driving kick, yep. and uh, man, it it is some of the grooviest music on the planet. Yep. I yep. I cannot get enough of it. Yeah. So yeah, he turned me on to the um. Uh, blanking on the name, Le Tet. Um... Oh, Le Tet Brule. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that middle triplet thing, like I I went hard into that for a little while because I was like, wow, I don't know how to play that correctly. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and like all that stuff. Because Andre would do this thing where we'd be sitting in the dressing room before the gig and he'd pick up an acoustic guitar and he would start playing something and he would ask everybody, where's one? You know, and it would never <laughs> be where you think it is. And it, right, right, right. it, he just had incredible time and just an incredible sense of melodic sense. And you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, that so for me it was you know sort of studying broke harpsichord pieces while trying to listen to you know listen to makosa and, and right. sukus and thinking i don't care about you know I, yeah 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 i know the first i understand the frustration yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i i'm i wish i hadn't been so hard-headed back in those days um but I'm sure that hand percussion must have totally translated into what you do now. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, trying to figure all that that stuff out, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, and being exposed to music from every corner of the planet, including broke harpsichord music, you know, right. that's right. a great thing. And I, I think the more of that you get, the better musician, better human right. you're going to be. Of course. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you feel like that translated into like some of your R and B chops at all? Like knowing knowing that salsa stuff and a little bit right Maybe you said I... cuban you said you played with a cuban no i uh, from puerto rico oh puerto rico okay sorry yeah. right. um you know for me the feel was always when that i mean when the rhythm section got going it was just this machine i you know that the the three of us together i mean there's just the the it, it wasn't it wasn't so much the feel thing for for me it wasn't the feel like the, you know an old school R&B or a soul feel are a very different thing from a salsa feel, which is very just, you know, barreling, right. barely forward. So um, that didn't translate. But, you know, so many of those classic R&B and, and funk and soul tracks have congas all over them or bongos or whatever. So that's a huge thing for me to I'm, I'm so glad I had the chops to be able to, you know, at least figure out, you know, I had to um, recreate ABC by the Jacksons once. And I mean, the congas on that are, are serious. I don't know who was playing on it, but yeah. um I mean, it took me a couple of days to try to figure out what they're playing and then practice it enough and tune it enough to be able to to um, to 
create some semblance of it. So, um, right, because that's that would have been an LA studio guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I I, I would like to find out who that was because I mean, whoever that is is a badass. I'm sure like Luis Conte or one of those knows immediately whoever that was. Right. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you find out, please let me know. Yeah, yeah. Wow, cool. Right on. So then, did you go straight to? Did you go to New York right after IU? No, not at all. I um, so in high, in college, um, I started or joined a band or formed a band with some other guys uh, in 1990. A band called Johnny Sacco, and uh, it was kind of a. It started as this, this a joke basically. It was just a funk disco ska goofball band, and uh, and it kind of got really popular in the area really quick. Okay. And uh, back in in the day when I mean there was you know there were big clubs and you could play three or four nights in a row at these clubs and you know everyone would come everyone would pay cover you walk out with this wad of cash it's like oh my god this is incredible this is what I want to do that um, for me the sprint was to get out of college as soon as I possibly could so that we could go on the road and I could be done you know and just focus on that so that. Um, it started as a joke, as this goofy cover band and, you know, with silly outfits. And that was kind of all the rage back in those days. We're heavily, right. heavily influenced by Fishbone. Right. Um, and, and we started doing our own original stuff and kind of got tied into this, uh, uh, the ska movement that was, that was kind of building in the, um, in the mid, early to mid 90s. Yeah. And we just toured the States nonstop for 13 years, uh, from 1990 to 90, or 90 to 2000, at the end of 2002. And, okay. uh, all right, well, so I guess 12 years. Um, and, I mean, you know, a bunch of dudes in a beat-up 15-passenger van with a trailer. Yep. Sleeping on floors, playing shows everywhere, trying to market ourselves, trying to trying to make it. And um, we never really did. We, you know, it did, ran its course. Did you come through Denton and play with, like, um, Ten Hands or – Mingo Fish Trap, or there's one other band I'm totally blanking. No, no, no. We, doesn't sound. We only did a couple Texas trips. Okay, uh, that's funny. Yeah, there was a whole because there was those early '90s bands like Ten Hands was a huge. Matt Chamberlain was the original drummer, and then Earl Harvin, and then this guy. Um, I'm totally blanking. Uh, Mike. Anyway, another incredible drummer. Okay. Anyway, there was that whole scene, of like, just. You know, that early 90s, like, fishbone, chili peppers, yep. you know, whatever. Crazy outfits. Yeah. Yeah, a whole bunch of styles mishmashed together. Yep. Um, actually, if, I was going to say, if more than anything, that was probably what what brought me where I am today. You know, the, the fishbone influence, you know, Fish on drums was one of the most amazing drummers I know of. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, and just the way they would pull all these different styles together. So we don't try to do it ourselves and figure out how do we, you know, sound like a, an actual metal band or an actual punk band or an actual polka band or whatever. Right. Um, you know, combine combine with a lot of those, um, you know, sort of those those classic hip hop records with, you know, okay, uh, Paul's Boutique, Three Behind Rising, uh, Low End Theory, where you know, pulling these incredible samples from all these different sources. So that just that all that variety. Um, has kind of always stuck with me. Not not that I'm trying to be a metal drummer anymore, and and um, you know, I, I for a long time I was basically trying to be Fish, the, the drummer Fish, um, meets Kenny Aronoff, and 
you know, tried to do fish as loud as I possibly could. Right. Okay. Um, that's a good question. That's, that was actually leading to me what I was going to ask you. First of all, did you record much with this band? Yeah, we did some records. Okay. Um, the, uh, probably the biggest thing we got out of it, we, we, um, you know, they're, they're out there. Um, it was, was it, was it, um, do you kind of think back at those recording processes now and think like, wow, I had no idea what the hell I was doing or, yeah. or were they super, or were they actually informative to where you are now? Uh, I learned a lot about what not to do. Okay. You know, I, I, I definitely had, I had some insight from, you know, I'd talk to Kenny about, Hey, how do you record a drum and go to his clinics? And, and, um, Sean was kind of long gone by then, but you know, or before he left town, we would do a little bit of recording, you know, on a cassette recorder or whatever, and have talk about recording stuff. So I, I wasn't totally clueless and you know, the drums, they, they're okay. Um, right. it's, um, but I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing I learned and, and something that really kind of screwed us for several years over you know, mid nineties thinking, Oh my God, ska is huge. And we need to put out a sky record and we need to go all in and we're going to just going to do it. We're going to do it. So we, we, at the time we spent, I think it was 20 grand and we put it on credit cards and went to the studio and like, Oh, this, you know, we're, we got to do, we're gonna, it's going to be this amazing record. Um, and, um, it took forever to pay that off. And we were so stuck with that stupid credit card debt back in the nineties when we were, you know, scrambling for no, we had no money and, you know, playing these gigs all over the country and bands always bring down blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, so, so, you know, the one hand of we just spent way too much money, which we couldn't have afforded. And um, and and that was a bad idea <laughs> in retrospect. And uh, the other thing was the mixed process with that, with that band was always, you know, we, we didn't have a producer. It was just the band producing ourselves. So get in the studio, track the song um, and then it's time to mix it. And we would each stand in the control room with the engineers at the board and say, OK, can you make my sounds? bigger and fatter and louder and brighter and lower and you know and then the next guy okay i want my you know and it you end up with mud absolute mud right. so and then the engineers would be trying to okay kind of please everybody yeah turn me yeah, up they, yeah you know like they would send us away and yeah. and actually so yeah 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 um yeah that was funny i so that was a lot of recording you know and some of it too was the the live show. I mean, we were a better live band. Uh, live, it was an amazing band. In the studio, you know, the songs didn't always translate. So um, we, we got better over the years. But another thing, another really um, something I learned back in those days, which took a while to sink in and, and was only really leaving the band that I, I kind of, the, the lessons fully formed in my head of people would, you know, we were loud, aggressive, as, you know, hard as we could constantly no matter the room you know that was our sound which, ah! yep, yep. and people would say i can't hear the vocals i can't hear the vocal you know i i want to whatever i i remember um it was um michigan it was um it wasn't in our kalamazoo there was a place uh was down a, hu a huge place two levels down a huge flight of stairs it, i'm sure it was going when you were there um uh right by the campus anyhow so giant concrete basement and divided in two halves. One, one half had the, the stage, the other half had a bar. And the bar was packed and we were playing to about five people. <laughs> and, uh, and on our break, the, uh, the manager came out next door and said, hey, you guys, you know, people are listening, you know, people are enjoying the music, but it's so loud, you can't, you know, it's just so loud and the, you can't hear the music, whatever, you can't hear the vocals. You know, could you guys turn down? I mean, you'd probably get more, 
we were so mad and so offended. Just, right. you know, how dare you? That's <laughs> our sound. And oh my God, we were furious right. and right. stormed off in a huff. And no, he was right. Yeah. Like, why, what, why were we so stupid? Right, right. Well, that's just being young and having too much oh, yeah. testosterone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, to me, it's interesting, uh, you know, especially, you you know, when you're like mentioning like playing like tribe songs and being influenced by like the, the boom bap stuff. And mm-hmm. like, it's like now, and I, I know this from watching you play like, you know, through the Internet, it's like it's not about hitting anywhere near that hard. And learning how to create those sounds and like when did you when did that start to dawn on you like you know what i mean yeah that was so that the that band ran its course and uh i reconnected with um you know my my college girlfriend who was living in hoboken new jersey and um so i, I left indiana came out here in, in about 2003 and i i started working with ken lewis who's a, a huge hip-hop pop producer mixer who's okay. got, you know 100 Golden Platinum Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started working with him as a session drummer, and and that was really that was when I first came upon this idea of sample recreations, which I knew nothing. I'd never heard about it, didn't know anything about it, uh, and it was incredibly eye-opening. Just saying, okay, we have to make whatever you know you have to make today sound like that record that was, and it doesn't matter how you get it. I mean, could I couldn't care less. This is a can. I couldn't care less what drums you use, how you you know whatever. Uh, it does it sound like it or does it not? And that's the only thing that matters. And and that's kind of when I started realizing, oh yeah, it, it, you know, if I slam it, mm-hmm. it's just all attack and there's nothing there. But if I really tap it and you know, oh yeah, that that actually does sound like like right. the record. So right. that was that was part of it. Trying to replicate the funky drummer, which I mean, that's been my Moby Dick. Right. I mean, you know, because that breakbeat is so huge and it's like, oh wow, do 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 that, you know, yeah, right. and try to do my my usual shit. The, the more I played, the I can't play it quietly enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been getting closer, but right, you know, it just barely. And then it sounds right. It sounds like Clyde. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was that was um, and another another big in that same period. It was a really formative period for me um, as a as a studio musician, working with Ken. You know, watching Ken just dissect the mix and you know, be able to surgically pick out, you know, some tiny aspect of some tiny element of this huge song, which had a hundred tracks, mm-hmm. you know, and say, Oh, that, that one thing up in the corner of this mix, uh, you know, that side of the speaker, is, is, uh, it's, it's got too much high end or whatever. Like, yeah. I can't even, I couldn't at the time, like, what are you listening? There's just so much sound coming at me. How do you, how do you know? And, you know, he's done it forever and like, yeah, yeah it's, it's easy. Um, so, so it was learning that that was a skill and, trying to figure out well how do you get that skill right. um so he was super huge to opening up your ears oh yeah oh yeah so yeah. and then um and then billy ward uh, i took two lessons with billy ward the drummer okay. and those those two lessons i i think also i think those two lessons in a lot of ways and, and i've told billy this i i think those gave me a career it was because it was talking you know working with ken and saying ken's not a drummer he you know he he's an right. engineer and a mixer and a producer but uh, it's interesting to me that like you, he saw he saw that you were obviously had gr- good feel, even though you may have been inexperienced in that sense. That that you would pull it off. What if he yeah. tells you like, hey, we need to do this? That you'll f- physically as a player be able to pull it off, and obviously the feel's got to be there too, which is right. pretty pretty big. Well, 
That's funny. That's uh, so that was what the lesson with Billy was. And I was going to Billy saying, you know, how do I get these out? How do I, you know, I play like this and and really loud and whatever. And um, I remember the first lesson you thinking of earphones or earplugs. Like, yeah, yeah, you are you are really loud. That's true. Um, right. But, <laughs> you're really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You made yeah. your point. Um, but he was just talking about you know take a measure of music and dice you know dissect every single thing you possibly can and become that measure of music uh for, for him the example is bernard purdy and i think he was talking about having to program a drum machine to sound like bernard purdy uh, you know back in the 90s when it was you know a digital drum machine or something and saying wow. it just he learned so much from that experience wow. of trying to program you know every little detail on a little you know i don't know a kai or something you know press the little pads and nudge the little <laughs> and um so you know so for him it was just who cares what you have to do figure it out you just figure it out um which is great and and that sort of set me on a path the the one thing that i i regret at the same time because i i did i've spent pretty much the last most of the last 20 years trying to figure out how to do that um the one thing that uh, I, it, it sort of gave me a pass on, which now I'm kind of regretting is, is I sort of stopped working on technique. You know, I just kind of stopped shedding new stuff because it was all about, you know, how do I, how do you get these sounds in the studio? And, and uh, you know, I talked to Ken about it saying, well, should I be working on chops and fills? And, and I'm like, not for me. I don't want to hear that shit. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, I'm glad in the sense of, so I, I always practice stuff with a metronome really slow and, you know, 40 BPM and just try to make it sound a good feel. Good. I, I never really got it. Well, I should get it up to 162. You know what I mean? Right. It's, uh, it's like I really come I can play slow and quietly in my sleep. Right. But, you know, when it's time for when there are no shows and life is just, you know, here's some chops on the on Instagram. <laughs> I don't know. I, right. I, I get nothing. You, you, it's, it's I, I'm like cracking up because that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, and I, when I find when Ringo finally dawned on me, yeah, and like listening to Stevie Wonder, like the idea of like playing on a pad for me went out the window. Right. I was like, who cares? It doesn't matter right. to me anymore. Right. And I spent a lot of years only playing on a pad to l simply get my hands warmed up. And then, and then, you know, I was like, you know, I was like a Vinnie freak and like a, a, a jazzer in college, and then. I really let a lot, I let my hands go a lot, you know, right. and it right. really worked for me for a long time. Um, but you know, like now I miss it and, and I found, I've actually found it probably way more productive in musical ways to work on chops mm -hmm. but things that I want to be, have happen certain there. And I don't, it doesn't mean I'm going to start to use them in recording right? just as a self-satisfaction player thing. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's become important to me again. Uh, but I, I, I went through a similar thing. I was like, it, and then it came back around. I was like, wait a minute, like, you can do both. Right, you right. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're incredible drummers with incredible chops and incredible taste. And you know, that's probably the, that's probably my, if I ever grow up, that that's what I'm gonna shoot for. You I, know, I find one thing. Chops. I find one thing that's really kind of weird though is like i i do see and this is one thing that i rail on not rail on but i i i really get on drummers cases about don't look at the grid 
Mm-hmm. As long as it feels good, don't look at the grid. Mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. I do work more on chops and then I see myself on the grid, it is more ahead than I normally am. Interesting. And I find I find that frustrating to me, mm-hmm. even though sure. it still sounds good. But I'm like, wait a minute, I'm I'm changing my my inner clock a little bit. Yeah, I'm always trying to find a balance of 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 in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because you know, you're taught to you got to bury the click and you got to you know, got to keep it tight and precise and clean and and which is all great. But yeah, no no one's sampling those measures. Maybe not no one. But I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, and and the other thing too, I I feel like that stuff, the stuff that's super hyper precise, hyper clean, it's really easy to program. I mean, you know, I mean, like, I love that point. Yep. You know what I mean? I, I like anyone can do that now. It's it's yeah, it's it's weird. It's it's people, you know, people want the imperfections. They want the the. Uh, I, I had a producer and we were doing a session the other day, and he was talking about. Um, he was equating it to a printing press, and and my parents ran a printing company when I was a kid. So I, I worked there all through through um, high school and a little bit into college. That was kind of my after school job and summer job working in a printing company, uh, which had nothing to do with this. And it taught me that I'd rather be a musician than work in a printing factory. But um, so I was talking about the old fashioned letter press where they would you know put a sheet of paper down, put these little lead blocks that would press the the uh, type into the into the paper. He was saying back in the old days, you know, the really skilled guys could do it just so that um, you would only get the ink and no, not the indentation. You know, they were just so their 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 touch was so great on this this letterpress that you know you just get the ink, nothing else. And nowadays, if you're going to do letterpress, you want them to crank it down because you want to actually see the indentation. You want to know this was a human thing made by a human being one at a time cranking on this letterpress. And uh, for him, that was kind of like the drum tracks today. He didn't want like anyone can do perfect. Anyone can do, you know, the machine can do perfect. Um, he wants, uh, I forget what he's called it, the printer's kiss or the, the kiss, you know, like it was the human touch. He wants to hear like, oh yeah, I hired a real live drummer in a real live studio and these are real live microphones capturing that. Right. And that's what the song is. So, so what does that mean to you? How does that translate to you? Does that mean it's a, it's a swing that you're putting into it or is it literally imperfections sometimes maybe on, on, you know, backbeats or, or what, how does that translate to like how you, how, how you, you know, how you put it down? It's, it's song by song. I mean, it has to be, it's song by song. Um, and, and there are definitely times that I'm just quantizing my parts because I know for the fact, you know, this producer, young producers only worked with loops and, and everything else quantized. And if I play loose, you know, what I think sounds and feels good, they're going to hear it as, Oh, this sounds awful. This needs to be quantized. I mean, these, so, uh, you know, I, I've definitely had to try to figure out on a track by track basis, what do you want from these drums? Are, are you expecting it's going to be like, you know, slate drums and you're just, it's somebody else's different version of slate drums, uh, or do you really want me to just go all full out human? So uh, I can't really answer that on a, on a broad basis, but you know, it's, I mean, I want to, I want to basically left to my own devices. I want to sound like Al Jackson. I mean, that's, that's kind of the first drummer that caught me. So kind of left to my own devices. That's sort of how it is. It's not, um, right. There's no broad strokes. It's there. It's by the song. It's the, yeah. it's the references that are given to you 
Yeah, yeah. Well, reference tracks are huge, and I, I I heard you mention that as well. Yeah. That yeah, it's I mean it's, uh, and you know especially at a at a when you get to a certain level, these producers they know exactly what they want for the drums. You know what I mean? And and you're you're you maybe there's you can add a little one extra sixteenth note here on measure three of the four measure loop and like oh yeah no yeah, okay that stays but you know yeah, yeah. most of the time <laughs> they know what they want <laughs> and uh yeah so uh all right so let's... tell me about your room you oh yeah um it's a 20 by 20 so i'm in an old leather factory uh it's a uh, it's this whole old brick complex going back to i think 1850 parts of it so i'm in hoboken new jersey um it's really crusty it's kind of the it's kind of the wild west it's it's the very last thing of like it in hoboken hoboken's an old industrial town um you know there's a wonder bread former wonder bread factory they used to make tootsie rolls here uh basf the chemical company had you know there was an oil refinery in this town it's right across the river from new york city and um so i found this room my my i had a another studio in um in another decrepit old factory building in the basement that was totally flooded in hurricane irene and um so i, I found this room uh it's the old executive's office of the whole complex and it's i, I think it's something like a hundred thousand feet in this complex so um you know yola tango is here uh sonic youth used to be here a bunch of bunch of creative people so it, it's a great spot but um you sort of get what you pay for which is not much uh in this situation so uh when i when i moved in this room was literally a dump i mean there was you know like abandoned toilets and and uh trash so i had to completely clear it out i was on a tight timetable because i had lost my old studio it was everything was insured so i was able to build this but you know i was out of commission for months um yeah so i mean i've just i've got it set up so that um Oh, I'll show you. Uh, oh, I don't have much. Let's here. Light. Um, let's see. Right here. Oh, yeah. So you know, got my kid over there. Recognize um, it now. <laughs> what's that? I said I recognize it a little bit now. Yeah. 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 Um, Pictures. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I just I tried to set it up so that I could get as much sonic variety as I could um, with given you know this is what i have to work with i can i can put mics out in the hall down there um and um depending on you know, what's going on out in the rest of the, the building sometimes it picks up sometimes it doesn't but um yeah I, I you were talking about trying to do the um um uh, uh, the headley grange sound the um uh, bonham yeah um yeah you know trying to kind of been trying to do the same thing get that that sort of one end of the spectrum get that sound uh which you know i can get somewhere with a lot of work i can get pretty close and you know down to the ultra tight dry dead 70s drum booth thing and then kind of everything in between right. um but so you know suited for the dry thing what's that this your room is a little more suited for the dry dryer oh I mean, yeah i mean it's it's yeah i mean i don't have I, the room sounds okay. I mean, it's I've done a bunch of treatment and uh, and uh, you know got some different acoustic treatments, a bunch of stuff behind the drums from uh, from GIK. Yep. But yeah, it's not it's not the power station. It's not you know it's it's a project studio right. and uh, on on a working drummer budget. So 
Um, you, well, you know, know it's funny though because I feel like, you know, I think we all, you know, I say this. I'm like, oh, it's not sense that sound. It's not Henson, but in reality, like, you know, you you well, I you know, you just called it a project studio, but in reality, it's not a project studio. True, it's not. It's, it's like, where I work. It's like, well, it's where you work, and it's where people are getting real you know, radio ready tracks from true. And like, it's, you know, I mean, it just kind of hit me when you said, Oh, it's just a project studio. And I'm thinking like, well, I I, I mean, I feel similarly because I'm in sitting in my garage and my house is 20 feet there, but in reality where this stuff ends up, it's not a, these are not home studio demo rooms. That's a good point. That's a good point. This is the way it is. And no one, no one gets to go to power station anymore. Not really. You know, Yeah, I mean the budgets are. Who can afford that? Yeah, so we're we're the we're the kind of, uh, you know, new reality of, of, you know, the power station or those places where we're we're it's up to us to do what we can to create those sounds in in right. the rooms that we're we're afforded to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I take it back. I, I mean, I love my studio. I absolutely love this place. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like you learn to work with it. You, you're, you, I mean, in what you just said, you're, you're doing everything you can to, to be right. stretch to and... space to do whatever you can to it. It's not like anybody, it's not like James Brown was going to Headley Grange to try to get the funky drummer. Right. right. <laughs> it just happened to be the space that they were in. But, right. But you're trying to do like everything that you can do to be a working drummer in the room that you're is affordable and, and, and good. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, a 15 minute walk from my apartment. So, uh, yeah. even better because I don't want to drive and lose my parking spot in this town. Right. 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 <laughs> Which right. Is huge. So, um, you got a studio. Do you got, so was it Ken, the engineer that you started working with with the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you started working with Ken and then at some point in there you thought, Oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to start to get my own room and do some of my own things. Yeah. Um, so I, I did work for Ken, and, and there wasn't there wasn't enough session work to pay the bills. So I actually started renovating houses at, at that point, um, and and uh, ended up doing some studio renovation, you know, which definitely helped put this place together. Um, and um, what I realized was that, you know, Ken works out of his house as well, and he has for twenty years. And um, uh, I, I realized that anytime we would do a drum track, it would totally shut down his entire studio. I mean, because drums are loud and, you know, he couldn't work. He, he could only work on what we're doing and, you know, his, his production partner, he couldn't work cause I would have to take up his room and, you know, <laughs> just sort of the whole neighborhood couldn't work cause you know, it was drumming in his house. Um, so it, it did kind of hit me that it is time to, um, find my own space so uh this was around 2008 i think 2007 2008 i found my first room and and this was i didn't know any i mean i knew about recording from what being in studios and watching but i really i didn't know how to use logic i didn't know how to use um i barely knew which end of a microphone you point at the drums uh so i started with a little um a little mackie onyx board which had i think eight channels and and just kind of learned how to do it from there and uh, it was a little concrete basement the ceiling was about six and a half feet high not ideal for drums uh it actually ended up i mean tracks from that little 
super crappy studio where there was a huge leak in the back of the room so i had to build this whole channel system of plastic tarps to drain the water so it wouldn't you know so kind of go into the into this grate at the back and you know with dehumidifiers it was a i mean it was really cheap and it was a place to kind of learn how to do this stuff and um and um i am tracks on what record was it it was um I think it was a Kanye re- record. So I, I mean, I actually got a, some of my tracks from there that Ken mixed, and they ended up on on Real Records. So, wow. um, you know, it it was a hellhole. Never the kind of place I would want to put on camera, or definitely not bring clients. My wife was there once and said, "This is you need. To, I, I don't like you being here." There was a a wallpaper factory upstairs, and I mean, I would walk in the door to get to my studio, and it, just the chemical smell was wow. insane. Um, so it, it was then under three feet of water in, uh, like I said, in the hurricane. And I mean, that water, I can, only you, can uh, oh my God, you, you know, one sip of that and you're dead instantly. Wow. <laughs> but, um, so you, yeah, made, so, you started to engineer with like, obviously probably fairly minimal miking through that mini, uh, yeah, uh, through that Mackie. And then they would go to Ken and would you discuss like hey you could do this a little better you could do this a little better or was there like a some of that yeah you know i mean and the thing for ken those the timetables were immediate i mean there was there was no um there was trial by fire i mean there were you know they'd be screaming we need these samples immediately so you know that filters down to me like where are those fucking drums so you know okay um you know, try a bunch of stuff. And, and that's kind of when I, I really got into doing a lot of shootouts on my own when, you know, when it was not in the, in the, in the heat of battle, um, just trying to figure this stuff out, you know, I shoot out. I, I think anybody who wants to record drums. has got to do just an insane amount of shootouts on their own and just learn how this stuff works. Right. Um, or make work what you have. So you understand. Yeah. What it does, right? yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I, I, for example, I learned, I had a audio technical 4050 condenser and the API 3124 preamp, and I was tracking percu- uh, tambourine, and you know I tried a couple different different mics, and that one sounded so bad, I, I thought that something had broken or somebody was messing with me. It just didn't translate at all, and you know the other mics worked, and and that you know like okay, right, I can't use that mic, which sounds really good on other things on tambourine with the API, you know, check, got it. There's one down now. You know how many million more variables are there? But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I still do them. Um, not as much, you know, after a while, I kind of figured out what works and, and, you know, your gear. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, I still go for, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I, I still go for around with drums a little bit. I found an old seventies concert tom set, which are, I'm in the process of, of fixing up right now. Like and, uh, which is fun. <laughs> it's kind of nice to get back to my roots of, uh, uh, Part of what, so when, when I, I, kind of in the late 90s and, and all through the 2000s, um, the other thing I was doing, in, in, so I was playing with the band first, then I moved out here and was working for Ken um, and, and renovating houses. But the other thing I was doing was um, I started buying and selling old drums on eBay and got really into doing that. And, and I mean, I don't know how many drums and, you know, hundreds of snare drums many dozens of kits all the every bit you can imagine to this stuff um i wonder if i bought anything from you (laughs) 
it's it's possible. I'm married to a lot of shit. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was a big part of my education too. Just figuring out because you know, of course, I would take these old drums, fix them up. You know, I'd want to hit them, see what they sound like, and I, I just discovering that the difference between what collectors want and what sounds good. I mean, there's a huge gulf. I mean, the, the stuff that collectors would be drooling over that, you know, sell for a thousand dollar snare drum or two thousand dollar hit kit and hit it like, Ugh, you know, that, that's not for me. Um, yep. My so, kits have always been between five hundred and a thousand dollars. Those right. are always the ones that sound the best and have lasted the longest for me. Right. Right. I, you know, I, I, um, I, I've played GMS for GMS drums since the, the early nine, early nineties. And, you know, they're not cheap drums and they sound great. They sound awesome. Um, and mainly that's what I'm using tracking, but you know, I have a $25 PV bass drum. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And a $35 nameless Japanese drum that, that sounds just like Al Jackson at Stax. Um, so yeah, it's fun. It was, it, it was good for me to, to kind of be able to separate, uh, you know, there's so much misinformation, like a place like gear slots or, um, you know, these audio engineering forums or drummers forums, like, oh my God, you, if you don't have solid bronze cast snare drum hoops, you know, you're shit and your drums are never going to sound good. And, right. you know, you try a drum, it's $2,000 drum with $1,000 hoops, eh, you know, right. whatever, it's right. loud. Right. Right. <laughs> but, you know, and then you hit the $35 drum you find in the pawn shop. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll, I'll use that. Or it has something unique that something, you know, maybe overly engineered doesn't. Yeah. Have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, character. Yeah. Well, that's fine. I, I, I would discover, too, that I would go to sessions and show up with, you know, the expensive drums and, you know, the really multi-thousand dollar blah, blah, blah. And, um to set up for the for the session and the people are like okay and then pull out some th ancient crusty marching bass drum like oh wow what's that oh that yeah let's use that that's you know the drum with character and and <laughs> i hear this story over and over from people you know yeah it's like yeah i, I, mean, I, I there is obviously a spot for the super pristine you know the whole thing and i do it and you do it too but yeah but there's just as much of a spot for the crusty the character thing and yeah. uh, you know i think in the long run those those win out a lot yeah yeah like it's just that's got something unique that that ends up in a song that makes helps helps make a song unique uh, if the yeah. song is good yeah yeah i would agree i mean one day i just went to the hardware store and bought you know a bunch of chains and and you know lengths of toilet brass toilet chains and man that brass toilet chain you loop it up and put it on the snare drum. It sounds great. I mean, it really it adds all this grit and character to any drum. It was like $2 worth of brass toilet plunger chain. And, uh, you know, they don't really advertise that in the, the drummer magazines. But, right. um, yeah, I think it's cool. I I, I just, um, over the years, you know, I, I've talked to other, and, and I went through this myself of like, oh my God, you know, it's going to cost so much money to do this. And, and, you know, I've got to have this amazing stuff and amazing preamps and amazing converters. And if I do it like, eh, you don't really, I mean, you know, work with what you got and, yeah. and be creative and, you know, 
Yeah. yeah it's, uh, All right, I'm going to hit stop. The interview's over. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Game over. The money line. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean I'm, I'm the exact same way. At a certain point, especially when I started to really dive into, like, can I get – can I do a when the levy break things in my room, and can I get it mm-hmm. really convincing? That's when it really started to dawn on me. It's like, oh, my God, if I just get to know my stuff, yeah, there's so many possibilities. Yeah. You know, it's not about being hung up on, you know, I don't have this, I don't have that. Right. Well, I do right. have this, and if I if I just dive in, you know, if I keep working, I'm going to get pretty close, you know? Yeah. 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 And if yeah. I don't, I'm probably going to end up with something cool, at least. Right, right. And, and unique to you and your studio. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So are you using a lot of, uh, of analog up, outboard? All my outboard is analog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and I, I'm curious, are, are you tracking and kind of printing your effects to tape or to digital uh, tape? Sometimes there's usually, if I'm doing that, it's usually coming from one mic, one particular mm-hmm. mic. Right. Um, and then most, you know, again, it depends on the song. Mm-hmm. It depends on who I'm working for. If right. I know I can go that route, then I do that. Right. I would say most of the time, though, I'm 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 creating the effect. Are you, are we talking like like outlandish effects, like, or are we talking we talking like compression and EQ? Yeah, like basic compression EQ. Oh no, I'm printing that. Reverb. Okay. You're yeah. what? I'm, I'm printing, sorry. I'm printing that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, sorry, I keep messing with my mic pre-level here because <laughs> just because. Um, yeah, that stuff I print. Okay. I feel like I've done enough trial and error over the years where I trust myself to not, uh, you know, if something needs to be overcompressed, then there's an option to either not use it for someone, you know, let's mm-hmm. say a room mic, or it's going to be appropriate. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? I mean, I definitely had some complaints over the years of like, hey, man, can you next time you do something, can you back off the compression on your room mics? Right. Because I was yeah. like, oh, it sounds awesome. But in reality, when somebody's mixing it, they're like, yeah, sorry, dude. This is yeah. – I overdid it. <laughs> overbaked it. Um, but, no, all compression and EQ I'm, I'm printing. There, You know, I will EQ after the fact if I feel like it needs more, and mm-hmm. I will give people the option. Mm-hmm. You know, But most – I would say 90% of the time I'm, I'm sending those type of effects to them. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if it's if it's a parallel compression or a delay or a big verb, then that's on a separate channel that they can choose to use or not. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. When um, when I started my own space, I, I kind of had to make this. I, I just sort of made a distinction of I'm just going to focus on tracking and not mixing. Um, and I was I just saw how much you know it still is a lot of money to build a tracking room and track drums. You need a lot of stuff and. Um, so looking at that, and then looking at the next, the next level after that of being the mixer guy, and like, oh man, that's, I'm just gonna focus on the tracking for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I'm starting to do a little bit more. I'm, I'm really still only qualified as a ref mix engineer, so I don't really, you know, I'm not gonna go crazy with it. But it, it is becoming more and more, especially those times when, when you hear the final track and you hear that they just used your rough mix as the final drum mix. I'm like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For me, there's nothing worse. Like, no, that's that was 
you should have you should have mixed those drums. <laughs> really. Yeah, that's I mean that's big for me is um, I love mix like if I write something either by myself or with a friend and I try to get like I kind of have a prog project that I've been working on with a friend cool. and you know I've been mixing it and you know it's okay it's okay but then I take it to a car and it's almost not even so much uh sonics it's about oh man this this whole section dropped way too much in volume right you know right. and it's not about slamming it either just like making everything like flatline it's about like oh man i need to get this whole section equal to the other yeah. thing. and like to me that's way beyond my knowledge at some point you know yeah we're getting a tune to grow at the end and not you know just like having dynamics but not it can't be too much for you know recorded music you know it's not yeah. classical music right, right right yeah because everyone thinks well you gotta pile on the stuff pile on the stuff and and then you get you get mud if you don't know what you're doing right. yeah I, I have so much respect for real mix engineers it's yeah it's um I, i'm always happy to have somebody else do that yeah but that stuff always informs my sonics later even though i i'm kind of like mediocre at it it helps my my drum engineering and the back end mm -hmm. or on the front mm -hmm. end i should say because oh i could do this better oh i could, i'm it's okay to go a little more high end on these toms for this type of thing right i know they need right. to stick out more you know so i get less afraid you know yeah I, I i feel really thankful that i have been able to sit there and watch as engineers mix my drums with the rest of a track right. and, and really just watch right okay so what you know i see what they're doing right that that mic is too it's catching too much boom or it wasn't close enough to the shell or um you know kind of seeing all those things in context with all the other instruments um um it was really instructive for me just to figure out okay right so just because i have a lot of mics up if none of them are pointing at the right thing who cares you know it's um right. and, and trying to always find that you know the one mic that can capture the whole kits even if everything else doesn't work you've got one mic that's that's going to crush it uh and then augment it with all the other close mics and and through mics and everything else yeah yeah I'm I'm curious. I'm still curious about the kind of your your career path after you after. So you got this room, mm -hmm. and it, was there a certain point where, you know, was it was this, you know, a lot of your career started through working with Ken, and then it, and then ex expanded from there, or, yeah. or kind of where, like the recording side of it, like that. Yeah. That um, lineage. Sure. Um, it was. Let's see. Yeah, it, a lot of it. I mean, I, I owe Ken a lot. He's he took me under his wing early on, and and just sort of you know showed me the ropes, and then sent me out into the world. And um, so um, I was doing a lot of in the two thousands. I was just doing a ton of indie artists. Um, you know, just working with you know the hundred dollar nights at at the bitter end or um, the living room or whatever, and just playing with. A, I lost track of how many different indie artists I would work with. And, you know, just trying to, um, a lot of that was going to smaller studios in Brooklyn and, and recording, you know, the whole band in a room kind of thing or, um, or all of that. And, and then, um, um, augmenting that with, with the eBay stuff, especially later on in, in the two thousands. And then, uh, I, so when the global crash happened, 
in around 2008, 2009, and all of a sudden I was losing my shirt trying to sell drums on eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, well, I could lose my shirt selling drums on eBay, or I could start the studio. <laughs> and that's that's when, um, um, so that's kind of when I made that, that shift. I'm really glad I did because it was kind of the catalyst. And I feel like we in the last year for everybody, we're, we're in kind of a similar, that was a big catalyst for me. It was, you know, okay, time to change new 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 plan and um and uh and actually that that plan set me up for today you know i mean i think i feel like every drummer out there in the last year is like oh fuck i can't put their live gigs are gone i I gotta learn how to be a studio drummer i gotta you know set up a room like like we have and uh, i'm thankful to be sort of 12 years down the down the road i'm not just learning but um but you know it can all be done and and I was helping my friend set up his studio, and he just had his first paying customer this past week. I'm like, oh, great, it could be done, and you know, he's working on it for six months. So, yeah. um, but um, so so to get back to your question, so you know, I, I started my studio, still, still playing with a bunch of people. The kind of the big catalyst, the big change for me was I worked on uh, Girl on Fire with Ken, and and uh, so we we had to recreate um, uh, Bobby Chouinard's drums. I think recorded at the Power Station. And, and, uh, so I, I shot a little video. I had my little, I think it was an iPhone four old crappy iPhone. And then one of those little flip cameras, the, the digital flip camera. So, um, recording Alicia studios. And I asked if it was okay if I took a little video and, and then, so I'd never put a video together. Um, so I, I had an assistant at the time who was helping me, um, who, who was a little more digitally inclined than I was cause he was 20 years younger. Uh, so I made him learn how to use iMovie and we put this video together about how we made the Alicia Keys track and that kind of took off that video did really well Minor Drummer ran it for a while Um, and um, so from that that kind of turned into Ken said oh great you're a video producer now I want you to make a video for for my school or you know make shoot a bunch of videos for my my music school so um, so we, we thought shot literally thousands of videos in this this space um so for a while i was doing you know my my income started as only live then it was live in studio and then it was live studio and video production um and then now it's back to just only studio uh you know the the um my live stuff disappeared a year ago um yeah so but it and and that was great too because we were doing keys guitar bass vocals drums um and in a really wide range of really wide range of, of styles and, and music. Um, so, and because it was with Ken, I would, you know, get to do, so we, we did a little course on how to play the funky drummer and how to play back in black and how to play chameleon by um, uh, Herbie Hancock and, and some other things like that. And each one of these, these courses, I would do a little video on here's how to get the sound and we'd mix it so it sounded right so you know we'd teach the here's how you play funky drummer and you'd hear the sounds and i would teach it with the funky drummer sounds um you know just all that stuff all that stuff kind of became you know i I sort of each month i would be piecing my my income together from the all these different sources yeah and um but it's i've been based out of this room for 10 years now and uh and that's kind of you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I pretty much stopped traveling, stopped the touring when my son was born. He was, he was born, he's 10 now. Okay. Um, so that's when I got out of, uh, I, I, I know you have two kids and, yeah. uh, yeah. So I, I just started 
smoking more. Um, I couldn't do so much of the uh, the starving singer songwriters in the city, so I took cover gigs, and, uh, and that was really interesting. I'd never really done that before. Um, I'd always been doing original stuff, which was great. I'm really glad I did it, but it was. Um, I played in a modern country cover band. I didn't know anything about country, even though I'm from Indiana and technically should. I just it was not a scene I was into, um, and you know I learned hundreds of these tunes, and you know it was like. Everything is slow, groovy rock at 72 BPM. Right. Um, that was great. You know, I was put on a click track, played four hours of this stuff a night down to the Jersey Shore. Right. And um, I, that was I, that was so good for my time, too. And just, yeah. you know, just like getting, having to learn somebody else's tracks. I mean, and the drummers in the Nashville are amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, these tracks are great. I, I learned so much for that. And then joined a, you know, expensive wedding band and had, you know, learn how to play these super pop songs that are um, nothing but program drums and, you know, weird program parts and trying to make it sense, make sense on a little four piece kit with a wedding band and with a horn section. Um, did, that, did, that, did learning that stuff influence your, your knowledge of sounds with, with those? Yeah. That, you know, oh, yeah. You know, how, how do you get the, you know, the clap sound or the, the finger snap or the, um, you know, the, the, the sound. Of, what's that? The country stuff, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah, I, I, it was interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of at a point where, you know, the live stuff dried up and, and I'm, you know, overnight and there was like half of my income. Right. Uh, yeah. a, little, a little rough. Um, but uh on the other side of this, I'm, I'm kind of rethinking, I, I think I am going back more to the original stuff. I'm I just, I, I've never had so much quality family time in my life as the past year. Right. Um, cause I was gone every weekend and you know, in the summertime, I'd be four or five shows a week, plus be at the studio nonstop. Right. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed this past year, Friday night, we, Every Friday night, we've been watching the Star Wars series, you know, starting episode one up through, you know, like, I could, I never did that. I was gone. I was just gone. And um, so I, on the other side of this, and I feel like I'm kind of seeing some light at the end of the tunnel that there will be gigs again with people in a room. And, um, right. yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but I, I don't want to go back to, to how I was doing it before. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I, I don't know if it, I, I think it'll be a long time till it was like it was. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. You know, on, on that subject. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like, how, so you're, you're pretty, like, are you doing, are you, so are you recording modern country stuff at all? Like, since you're no. doing those gigs? No, really? No. no. I, it was just sort of this kind of separate thing. Okay. Um, no, I mean, I've done one or two, but it, that's not really, you know, my, my, um, most of my recording stuff, it's loops and break beats. Um, a lot of singer songwriter stuff. And then a lot of kind of hip hop soul R and B that, that would be, that's kind of my, my main recording okay. stuff these days. Right. It's that's mainly because the producers that call you, is that, is yeah, that, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's all, I, it's all cool. I, I, I like all the music. I'm, 
I don't know. Right. I don't know what it is. Right. <laughs> and are you a- are you um so with the with the getting the sound stuff, that's ongoing. That's like constantly happening. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually creating the sound now. We we realized okay. we weren't we weren't actually going out and getting the sounds. We we're actually creating it from scratch. So we okay. uh in, in January we we changed the the title over. Okay. Um. Yeah, so I, I work with my production partner, Cooper Anderson, who I met Cooper through Ken as well. Uh, we, we started working with Ken around the same time. So Cooper's an amazing mix engineer and producer, so he kind of handles that. And, and um, yeah, I, we it's built the site because I wanted the site that was I wanted 12 years ago when I was first starting to learn this stuff. Right. Uh, you know, just what is a microphone? What's the difference between a ribbon and a dynamic? What's a, you know, right. why do you use one and not the other? Right. And, um you know, and how are you supposed to mix these things? All of that stuff. Right. Um, and, uh, and and part of it too is we just sort of follow. A lot of the times, you know, um, a lot of the, the lessons we do. Somebody comes in and they want. Um, I mean, the the last thing was synthways. Somebody wanted the synthways track, so I you know put a kit together, did their track, and like these are cool sounds. Let's do a you know we'll do a lesson on synthways. So we've been obsessed with synthway. We're building a song from scratch. We're going live tonight with a with adding vocals and everything um and it's all it it, kind of all goes back to the reference tracks as as you were saying it's you know the the track comes in and the synthwave kit doesn't work at all for the neo soul kit which doesn't work at all for the um super lo-fi grungy indie thing you know which doesn't work for the hip-hop thing right so um i i do find i'm just constantly shifting stuff around in here Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, once we, like, oh, I'm going to share this kit with the world. It's right, right. <laughs> it's right. Clean drums and, you it's know. Firing, yeah, totally. So, yeah. And so. do, you, do you remember, do you remember the kind of the formulas? Like if you're like, oh, I did that thing three weeks ago. Oh, yeah. I got to go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, done it long enough. I know the gear. Right. I know, right. you know, here's my Clyde snare. Here's my bottom snare. Here's my. Right. Uh, you know, Ringo. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, actually I, I really appreciated your, uh, you did the series on the Phil Collins sound, which is awesome. I, you, and you nailed it. And I, I oh, love right. the attention to detail. Uh, I absolutely loved it. That was, uh, yeah, that was pretty funny because I was, I was just, well, I mean, there's a long, lo- kind of a longer story leading up to it, but when I finally did it, I was like, okay. I got to go in hard because yeah. it was a time where I wasn't busy. Like I knew I wasn't going to be busy. It would maybe over like a holiday or something. Right. I could just really not have to break the kit down to do other things. Right. And just get deep. And then, and then, and then that, um, uh, well, the, there's the, in, in the air tonight thing, which I actually think I could do better now than I did yeah. then. Sure. Um, I'm the same way with the funky drummer. Yeah. <laughs> but then, the. God, what is why am I blanking? The other tune I did, um uh I don't care anymore. Like that okay. that you know, even when I was a kid, before I was ever really thinking about recording drums, I was you know, I was playing and I was fascinated with drums, but that track always fascinated me because there was those layers of the sound happening. And I you know, of course I wasn't thinking technically about that process, but I was like, it keeps changing. You know what I mean? Right. And then as a young, young, like as a, as a, someone who was working in here, I would put that on in the car and I would be like, what is happening? And then when I decided to try to go after it, I really was like, okay, 
what is happening in here and the fact that there's like three layers of of that sound in there but it's really the same it's the same thing over is that video, is that video still I, I never saw that one that sounds fascinating yeah yeah there is there's like a there's like the super dry thing there's a gated reverb sound and then there's the room sound that comes in okay and they're all and then at the end they're all happening okay really listen to it there's like three different layers of it of that one overdubbed uh you know the main track and then everything right. else is overdubbed too which was huge to go like oh wait they didn't do this at the same time they didn't do this right. at the same time right 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 and uh, and then trying to record symbols in there and going like there's no way they recorded the symbols right with the toms there's just it just doesn't work even no matter what size room it is you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well so a couple things um the, so did you shoot a video on that that your 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 yeah. journey there? Or is, is that still up? Because I want to watch that. That sounds yeah, cool. It's up there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, is it on YouTube? Yep. Okay, cool. I'll find that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, so that that's another thing that I, I want to stress to any drummer who's watching this and uh, who wants to be recording themselves is think about the symbols and think really hard about whether you should track them at the same time you track everything else. Yeah. And some, often you can, but sometimes it sounds so much better if you don't so much better you know how, you just, how often do you feel like you're doing that maybe half my productions oh no that's not true I, you know it it goes in in, in waves and yeah. it, the stuff that's really just live it's supposed to be live i i wouldn't do that but right but if if there's any layering whatsoever or if it's any if it if it has anything to do with kind of a modern pop sensibility i'm almost always overdubbing crash symbols mm -hmm. um occasionally overdubbing hi-hats too just because you know, I mean, symbols are so, they take over a mix so easily and they take over a microphone so easily. Yep. And um, especially, you know, everybody wants big, massive sounds that are gonna, you know, rumble your, your speakers. And, but if, if your crash symbols taking over that, you're just, you're never gonna get it from yeah. from your mic. Yeah, the hi-hat hi thing is a daily battle for me especially in rock tracks, even when I play them quietly. Uh, you know, I think part of it's my room, you know, but even when I alter my playing to almost in a comical way to be playing the kick and snare right. where it should be, but then yeah. playing the hi-hat like, you know, at a quarter of the volume as those other two, so it's very right. awkward. But then, oh, that's where it finally sounds right, but it doesn't feel... You've got a 2B in your left hand and yeah. 7A in your left, yeah. or your right, and yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah but you know the microphones don't care <laughs> they don't care they don't care they're, they're very very cruel and unyielding in that way they are they are and and then you know like my room is is i think it's like it, i'm i think my room is probably you know a third of the size of yours so that sound oh, wow. bounces around even more i mean i'm just guessing from looking there but my tracking I, I'm, I'm 20 by 20 okay well my tra yeah I, my tracking room is 10 by 15 with a ceiling, not even 10 by 15. Cause it, it changes. It's like a different angle. Okay. It's, it's pretty small, but yeah. Well, and, and again, as you were saying, and as we've been saying, just cause it ain't ocean way or a uh, power station, man. Yeah. I mean, I know for a fact that you're getting amazing sounds out of there. Cause I've heard them. Uh, you and, know, it's curious to me. Like I'm always interested in actually engineering myself in an actual real studio. Yeah, and then 
you know, I'm, I'd actually be afraid of that because I might be like, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm doing out of my room. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it could very well be the case, you know? Yeah. We, um, uh, Cooper, my production partner, and I went up to Telefunken Microphones a few months ago and it got to record in their room. And I mean, I don't, I'm not an envious person, but I definitely had room envy on, oh man, that, that space. Oh my God, it sounded so good. Just, you hit the drum and just perfectly balanced. And, you know, I mean, just my iPhone camera from 30 feet away just i mean it sounds so good my, my iphone footage oh my god that room is incredible you know the ceilings were i don't know 30 feet and the room is 100 by 100 and you know perfectly treated and every oh man i was you know came back to my little 20 by 20 like ah, that sucks. <laughs> I, I was in a friend's studio two days ago uh it's a home studio but he built it out it's a pretty large space and it was the same thing is incredible gear Drums are great. I didn't have to bring anything except sticks, but it was the same thing. I was just playing, getting sounds for him, and I was just like, oh, right. this, is, this would be a luxury. Yeah. 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 You know, but on the other hand, if our rooms were just, you know, like you put any, you put a cardboard box and it sounds amazing, and, you know, you throw any mic and it's just going to sound good, maybe, you know, we wouldn't have had to spend so much time figuring out how to get good sounds out of. The rooms we have you know so yeah um, and it's about character it's 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 you know it's not like i mean so many of the recordings that we 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 love they have a character of the room and again we kind of touched on this earlier and it ne not wasn't necessarily intentional it just right that's where they could afford to go um like actually do what do you know what room funky drummer was recorded in yeah it was a uh, king studio in cincinnati okay and, right and that's a quite a well-known room for that air for that region right yeah yeah it was a it was a um i i oh man i i, I went so deep into okay. yeah. researching that stuff and was obsessed with it i still kind of am yeah it was just a I, but i think it was just a big concrete room you know cinder block room nothing it was not a special room by any stretch right it came down to clyde yeah clyde and james brown and his band and you know and they captured it well and um, and was it yeah. one mic? Um, I it was one track. There was a it was an eight track recording. Okay. Um, I get to talk to Alan Leeds, who was the James Brown's tour manager back then. He found the original tracking sheet. So yeah, it was one channel for drums. I we think there were maybe maybe two mics that we, we have a picture of Clyde in the studio okay. at, at that studio at the same time. And there's a mic on the kick and and definitely a it looks like a U forty seven overhead. Uh, and that's there's probably a mic on the it. kick really. Yeah, we think we think there's something because um, it's so quiet. Yeah, it's quiet in there. there. There's it looks like there's a kick mic, but it's it's kind of it's hard. It's I don't know. I, I'll send you the picture and you can you can judge for yourself. And it was okay. it wasn't from the funky drummer session, but he said the picture he sent is pretty representative of what they look like. Interesting. Um, yeah. And the, the funky drummer sound is uh, Ludwig Superphonic snare, but Vox drums which I thought was, that blew my mind. I always assumed it was a Ludwig kit and, and um, said, no, they, they just pulled in their, their uh, road kit, which is just, you know, red Krakow box drums. So I've been on a obsessive hunt for a set of 13, 16, 22 red Krakow box drums from the late 60s or tricks on would work, I guess. Right. And you have some. No, no, there was a, there was a, that floor Tom was on reverb for a little while. 
and it wasn't very expensive. I'm thinking, like, man, I should buy this because, you know, maybe it was that could have been Clyde's or Jabo's uh, right. actual road kick, you know, and some other floor time ended up in Florida, I think. But, right. I, you know, what am I going to do with right. one floor time? Right, right. So. Um, yeah, my, you know, my recreation of, of Funky Drummer, I, I ended up with one mic and just – Really? Oh, where? Where's your? I haven't seen your recreation. Mine's on YouTube. I don't know if you should watch it, man. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I came up with one mic, and I I can't. I'm trying to remember what I used. It might have been my 441, which is now broken, or or maybe even my Audio Technica. I don't even remember what what it was now. But and I just sure. kept moving it. I'm like, yeah. God, this sounds a little closer. This sound. I kept moving it closer to the hi hat. And farther away from the kick drum, yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah, and yeah, yeah. like, okay, this is about, this is this is where I'm gonna get, for me, you know. So what's what's been? I mean, I've been obsessed with that damn track forever, and it was only in the past ten years that I could play the break beat, and it's only in the past couple months that I can actually play the entire track from start to finish and and know the parts and and get through it without my arm yep. falling off. Yeah. Um, What's your what's your funky drummer journey been? I mean, definitely similar. Uh, you know, it's funny. I used to be able to play it better when I had a jazz jazz ride cymbal right hand. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I let that go. Um, and I mean, mine has been again. It's 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 like, well, where do you start? Because the beat morphs as the track yeah. goes over those yeah. over those nine minutes, right? Yeah. Like, well, what part is the most authentic? And it's always funny, like, because I get comments of people go like, dude, that's not it. It's like, well, well, what is it? Because, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> but there's certain things that I obsess about it with. And number one is the touch of the hi hat mm -hmm. and the, the driving nature of it. But the volume is just, you know, flat line. Right. It's just incredible. Yeah. But then those buzz, like, especially at the end break where he's just, you know, he's dropping oh, buzzes in yeah. and it's just so clean. But all I can think of with that is that he spent either playing that beat for hours on the road for months or, I mean, that's all I can think is this, he had that Samba because that's what he would do every night for yeah, like years. Yeah. And then it's it just time. turned into a thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like he just started playing that and then it just turned into a song or, you know, that's my, yeah. that, that would be my guess. I don't, you know, I, I, that's my impression. And, and from talking to Alan Leeds, I, I think he kind of confirmed that as well. And it was a, okay. you know, a flop when it came out, which oh, is wow. funny. Incredible. Uh, yeah, like it, it disappeared. It got nowhere and uh, they just forgot about it. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious to find, cause it, Alan was saying they, they played it on the road um, for several months leading up to when they recorded it. Okay. And, um, and then it was, um, it was, I think in a section of the show before James came out. So it was kind of the, the band would, would warm them up doing some instrumental stuff. So okay. I'm, I've never heard, I've never seen, I've never, I don't know if it exists, but I wonder, I've always wondered if there was a, a show tape of the band playing the funky drummer before they went in and recorded it. Right. Um, and if right. anybody's watching this and anyone knows, please find me. I'd love to hear that. What what that track sounded like before they, the the. Um, um, and actually, Alan told me that that was the very last song that 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 band 
recorded before they all mutinied. Really? That was the, the last thing they did. That the last thing that band with um wow. you know with the, with the 60s lineup yep. before, you know, they quit and and uh Bootsy's band came in. It was the, the last thing they did was the funky drummer, one take. Right. No no overdubs, no edits. Yeah, I'm, Clyde not enough that track. He just played I mean, if he made any mistakes, maybe they were in his head and he thought, oh, I, whatever, but right. holy. I, you know, I also see, when you see the live footage of those, Jabo and, 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 and Clyde playing, and, you know, they, it's, it's amazing to me because they do, I don't want to say they play loud, but they're, they're playing as if you would play in a live setting. Yeah. Especially with minimal miking, whatever was happening back then. Yeah. But the yeah. sound that's coming out is still it's not bombastic. Right. 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 That's what blows me away about seeing those guys play live. It's like, wow, they were creating this. They were in that setting. They were driving the band. They were, you know, playing it for a dance hall or whatever. Yeah. But they're, but it's still light enough where it's not taking over. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. I, I've always wondered if, yeah, I know what you mean. You know the uh, um, the Clyde's uh, Cold Sweat solo at uh, in Boston. I, you know the yeah. I he's I mean he's blend into yeah. it. I mean and it's oh, that solo is incredible too. Um, but part of me wonders if he the reason he was playing so quietly in the studio was that um, the whole band was live and and uh, and and Alan was saying it was you know they they're all just kind of in a circle around every, you know and. So you had to play quietly because otherwise you're going to take over um, everyone else's. Yeah, everyone else's. he played for the room and for the yeah. mic. Which, you yeah. know, going back to my own experience of in the 90s of playing as loud and as hard as I possibly could, mm-hmm. you know, and, and having no conception of what playing to the room meant. Right. Um, it's really, it just, it, it just impresses me more about what they created. You know, and and the kind of musicians those guys were. Yeah. Well, there, I think I think a few things. There was there was a there was a sensibility that was happening at that time. One because you mostly played acoustically, right? So the right. idea of like, hey, you have to play dynamically, otherwise you're not going to work. Yeah. If you're the loudest drummer, uh, like people, you're gonna you're playing in a lounge or you're playing in a nightclub or you're playing in a in a dance hall, and you just can't. You can't right. be that, you know. And then you those guys obviously came from jazz, right? So they're not growing up like bashing. Right. Um and then, you know, I'll I'll go out on a limb and say I'm sure James Brown had something to say about how loud you're gonna play. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know what I mean? And just uh-huh. like like I need more of you or or shut the hell up. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure uh, there's there's a lot of those factors that went into those guys' sensibilities over years of like you know touring and playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and, and I look at Kenny, who's I mean, nobody plays harder than Kenny, and no one's worked more than Kenny. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's uh, it just goes to show there's no there's no one path. There's no right. yeah. I mean, I I came off the road from Johnny Sacco when touring in a band with you know, Marshall stacks and all the gear and in the trailer and whatever, and then came here and, and suddenly had to get my gear from my third floor walk up into the city and play a club that was the size of this room. Right. And, you know, again, I didn't have the, I wasn't, 
you know, I didn't have the name to be able to say, no, this is my sound, and you're all in this 20-foot room going to deal with my playing loud. It would have to die. And, uh, right. you know, uh, I, I went from trying to be the loudest drummer in town to trying to be the quietest drummer in town. Right. <laughs> and then, well, that's a good know. musical sensibility that obviously you recognize that, you know, well, right? It's, you know, like, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> you want to work? Shut well, up. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, right? It's like you you got you you got to adapt and if you don't then yeah yeah but you got yeah. ears to it you know yeah it's it's true and and um i you know and i feel like we're all in this major you got to adapt period right now or or most of us yeah. um yeah yeah i i remembered you know when it, when i first got into social media which i really in my heart of hearts if i could never look at social media again i i think i'd be happier but you know that's not, it is what it that's is. not how the world works. Right. Um, I, I just remember you know talking to friends in the in the 2000s and and uh, you know guys who had played on massive records and we've all heard their heard them our entire lives and they just couldn't make the transition to to social media and kind of and this you know this idea of I, I as best I've seen it, it's you know social media means you just you need to give away everything you know for free. Because like, there's no, I, I don't feel like for me, there's, there's no trade secret left. There's no, right. you know, I mean, how I got the funky drummer sound, it's, you know, I can teach you or somebody else is going to teach you. And, you know, it, it's sort of this, here it is. Here's how I know. Yeah. You know, if you want to hire me, here's how to reach me. doesn't mean you can pull it off though. Just because, well, it's true. Just because you're given the playbook. <laughs> doesn't mean yeah. you can do it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like you could you could give us the Tampa Bay Buccaneers football playbook and we could get 12, go- 12 yeah. of us and it would be a disaster, right? It's like <laughs> – so. I, I follow Jamie Oliver on Instagram, you know, and he can give me the recipe and I can go right. get the exact, exactly, exactly what he yep. – yep. uh, who, Whose would you rather eat? So. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I totally agree with that sentiment, but at the same time, you know – you gotta you still gotta put the the time in yeah you know yeah well, you know i watch my i watch cooper mix something and and right. everything he's doing i understand what he's doing i you know and it's not even that you know i was like hey, give him a little eq there and a little compression here and you know oh we'll throw this one effect on and you know and the end result i know how to do every one of those things but you know whose mix is gonna sound better right his or mine and it's not gonna be mine right so right um yeah, it's interesting. I'm just, I'm so curious to see where we all come out on the other side of this. You know, I, I mean, yeah. You know, I, I'm proud to have. We now I'm keeping the lights on here. And, right, exactly. I think that's where it's at. It's like we're we're uh, striving to maintain and adapting constantly, and and trying to also trying to give back. Right. Yeah teach and i mean i i i enjoy, i really enjoy you know i came from a heavy music education background and i despised mm-hmm. it at a certain point in my life i couldn't get far <laughs> enough away from it um but now i'm happy because i feel like i have skills to give back yeah uh because some people can't tell you what they're doing right um, but i'm glad i can share because i feel i now i feel like i have something to share you know right. i didn't for a long time but uh, uh, you know, I think part of the adaptation, whether it's social media or 
or giving away everything that you know. It's like, well, I I feel like I have something relevant to say. I hope, or at least to some people. Yeah. Well, yeah. for starters, so what's what's the SM7 down by the ah. between the kick and snare? Right. <laughs> or, or, unless that's a trade secret, which I understand. Well, no, this is what I heard, and it's it's all conjecture. I heard that that was a Mark Ronson mic placement for the Amy Winehouse. Back, back to black. Yes, uh, at, at Daptone. Yeah. Yeah. I, That's what yeah. I heard. I don't know. Okay. I don't know where I heard. I don't remember the source. Someone told me that, and I use that all the time. Now, I, it, no one ever said it was an SM7 because I put different microphones there. Mm -hmm. I had accidentally left this mic up in my room with a vocal level, like from this, mm -hmm. and it was in my room, and it was overdriving. And I was like, oh, my God, this mic actually sounds good overdriven. Right. And I thought, oh, I'm going to try it in that spot. Right, right, right. So trial by accident, you know what I mean? Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I'm going to I'm gonna um, corroborate your, your story a little bit. Um, so I, I started working with um, – every once in a while, I'll do sessions for Dave Tozer, who is uh, uh, John Legend's producer. Okay. And Dave used to do a lot of stuff at Devtone with Homer, Homer Steinweiss. Okay. And um, – so the first session I did for Dave, I think Homer couldn't do it. So he called me and that was the first time I saw in that exact same position, he was using a, the, um, uh, the AEA R84. Okay. And he said, so, and it was, you know, down low, kind of in between the kind of the middle of the kick snare hat. Yep. And, uh, and it sounded great. It was a perfect single picture version of the kick snare hat sound. You know, it didn't really get any, if you went to the floor time, it disappeared, but right. um, it was, it was a great, a great spot and uh so so i learned that the same thing um yeah so for me it's it's the aea sometimes in that spot okay um, but uh dave and um and um and his engineer oh shoot i hard uh chris uh his his engineer they also do a thing kind of a similar thing so they they came here for um for a session uh it was actually one of my only modern country sessions with okay. a, a guy dave was producing so they had a, a similar mic. Uh, we used a 414, but it was down. Uh, it was instead of a snare bottom mic, you know, just right by the snare. They had it down, sort of almost by my shin, um, kind of pointing up at the snare drum. And they said it, it, it. I mean, it definitely caught a lot of kick drum, but it was a really this kind of gooey picture of the snare drum, and it wasn't so rattly, kind of harsh and rattly as just the the snare bottom mic right, right there. Isn't it great? What's that? Is it in figure eight, the four fourteen? Uh, I think it was just uh, cardioid, in okay. cardioid, and but it was down, you know, kind of down by the the hi hat, yep. you know, like the, the base of the hi hat stand, pointing sort of up at the snare, uh, you know, right. several, you know, about that far back. Okay. And it was great. That was a really cool position that I'd never in a million years thought of, and it it just adds this glue to uh, to the whole track, and and that kind of started explaining some of, I mean, because I Dave gets some great great drum sounds. Yeah. And, and that, you know, it, and they all kind of just, it's like this, they've all sort of melted together in, in this right. cool way. Right. So I actually did a, a Patreon video recently on a similar thing, which is a 414 in figure eight, but under the snare, but also facing the batter head of the kick. Okay. So let me, let me think here. So it's under the snare. So it's, it's, in, it's like in between the kick and the batter head of the snare. I'm sorry, the batter head of the, yeah. Under the snare. Okay, under the snare. But but the other side is facing the kick batter head. And and wh where are the knolls facing? 
it's you know the one side is facing the bottom snare, one side is facing. Oh, oh okay, 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 gotcha. Yeah. So the nulls are kind of facing. Yeah, okay, okay. It's I almost gotcha. as if you were like recording in stereo, even though you're not, right? Right, right, right. Um, and that's that's pretty cool because there's so many things you can do. Like EQ wise, you can you can veer it more toward the kick or mm -hmm. more to the bottom snare, or gate it, or compress the shit out of it, and it's like. It gets that gooey thing that you're talking about. Yeah, and yeah. It's really, it's a really interesting thing, and it's kind of funny because it works for a lot of things, but then sometimes you're just like, "This is just not." <laughs> but it works I, for a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that when it's so plainly obvious that the mic doesn't work. I mean, you know, I I having twenty four seven lockout of your own studio is great because I can leave all this crap set up and set up way too many mics, and you know they're always live, and I. Every time I record, I just record them all. But yep. it's so the exact same mics, same drummer, same room, different song. Eh, it doesn't work at all. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it's a cool thing. So, you know, shootout time. Yeah. <laughs> Find right. the one that does. We're going to have to, we'll be texting more after this. It's like, hey, man, <laughs> try this. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, man, thanks for taking the time. This, oh, man, it's been a pleasure. This is really, uh, yeah, I, I, I believe we have more mutual friends than... Uh, do you work with Asher? The band? Yeah. 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 Huh. yeah. Josh, was, uh, Josh was the first friend I made when I moved to Hoboken. Oh, no way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was I was, I was was roommates with those guys at NAMM back when... At the last NAMM before. Okay. I, I did a track for them a few years ago at a friend's studio, but then... Uh, and then we were going to go back there, and then COVID hit, and I ended up doing things here. Okay. And I've done a handful of things this year, uh, or, you know, 2020 and 2021 now. Yeah, so you hit with those guys for me. Yeah, yeah, and Ethan is amazing. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so is Josh. Yeah. And, and they're uh, – it's really fun. It's really fun. It's – they're creative dudes. Yeah. That's cool. That's really wow, cool. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, I'll, I'll tell him. I'll Please tell him do. We've made a connection. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a small world. Yeah. Small world of music. Yeah. yeah, Blair, thanks, man. I, I, it's great to be. And as we were saying early on, man, I, I, I definitely feel we are kindred spirits on, on yeah. a lot of that stuff. I, yeah. I really dig what you're doing. Yeah. Well, we'll, I, we'll definitely be we'll, we'll be talking more, man. He's like, ah, tell me, what, what's happening there? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I look forward to it. And uh, hopefully, maybe NAMM 2022, I'll see you, in, uh, see you in L.A. Man, I hope I come to New York and do a gig, and then we can grab coffee, you know? Gig. Like, Remember those? Years, yeah, exactly, yeah. I have three on the calendar yeah. in the summer and fall, and I figure, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> should be legal. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, Dylan, have a great day, man. Great to talk to you. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. Sure.